we're beginning this new series, The New Rules of Love, Sex, and Marriage, and it's based out of the book from one of my favorite pastors in America, Andy Stanley. He wrote the book, The New Rules of Love, Sex, and Marriage, and I've been reading the book, and let me just say, I hope you don't think I come up with all this material myself. Like, like I, I mean, I'm, I'm just not that smart, to be honest. My job is to study real hard, research real hard, work all week, and really bring you the best of the best biblically-based material that I can deliver on Sunday so that you're getting just a great diet. And so that's, you know, so I just want you to know if you want to go deeper in the material that we're going to be dealing with over the next four weeks, buy the book, read the book. This is a, a powerful, powerful book, especially for the single people in our church, but it'll help everybody, but especially for the single people in our church. So let's dive right into it. This is week number one. One of the things we do as a church is we take a topic and then we Spend three to four weeks, and we tell you every single thing we know about that topic, and then we move on to something else. And so today is going to be week one. It's going to be the foundation, kind of the beginning, and it's titled The New Rules. It's not really new rules. Honestly, these are old rules. These are rules from like three or 4,000 years ago, but they work. And the reason we're calling them new rules is because we've adopted culture's old rules for so long uh, that, that don't really work, and, and, and the way we're doing it now doesn't work. Look at the results. Look at the statistics. It doesn't work. And so some of these old rules are going to be new to you because they're, they're going to be foreign. You're going to feel like, well, that's old-fashioned. That's archaic. That's, that's out of date. That doesn't work. And honestly, I'd have that debate with you if you could show me you know, that the way we're doing it today actually worked. But the truth is, if you look at the statistics, if you look at the results, the way we're doing it today doesn't work. And so I'm not even going to waste my time debating with you over it because you don't have any research to back up your stance. So I want to give you some old rules that are going to sound very new to you because God's way works. Let me welcome everyone who's joining us online. I know there's a lot of parents in our church, and they're sending this link to some of the kids in college right now. So I want to just say, those of you who are sitting in your dorm room watching this, welcome. You're going to enjoy today. It's going to help you a lot. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. All right, let's, let's get into it. Uh, the Bible is countercultural. The Bible is counterintuitive. I mean, there's a lot of times you're reading the Bible, and you're just thinking, well, that, that's, that's old-fashioned. That's out of date. And the Bible actually predicted we would feel that way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he goes, the message of the cross or the message of Jesus, the message of, of Christianity, it's foolish to those who, who don't believe it. It's foolish to those who haven't bought in. It's foolish to those who are heading to destruction. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This is why you have a lot of friends who don't believe what you believe, and they call you a fool. They're like, that's, that's just so foolish to think that way. It, it's, it's idiotic to believe that it's foolish. Well, yeah, it would be foolish to somebody that hasn't bought into this way of thinking. But here's, here's, the, here's the truth. We who are being saved, we, we who have bought into the message of cross, we, we who have bought into the message of Jesus and bought into Christianity, we're being saved. We know it's the very power of God. In other words, what they're calling foolish actually restored my marriage. What they're calling foolish actually brought freedom to my life. What they're calling foolish works. Paul goes on to say, as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will discard the intelligence of the intelligent. And this is a prophecy in Isaiah 29 where God is basically saying, listen, if you don't want to heed my way, if you don't want to follow my principles and kind of the instructions uh, I've given, you're going to end up frustrated. You're going to end up broken. You're going to end up in another messy situation. That's why I love my job. 
Because at the end of the day, I mean, I don't have to prove to you this works. I mean, you go try everything in the world, you'll be back. You'll be back because it doesn't work. This is the only way that actually works. And, and so God doesn't, you know, God's not the one frustrating you. He's not, God is not punishing you. The reality is living outside of God's principles, the consequences of that is punishment enough. So Paul ends by saying, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters, all these smart people, all the people that say, well, we know better and we're progressive and we're modern and that's old fashioned and that doesn't work. Where, where does it leave all those people? God has made the wisdom of this world, what they thought was right, look foolish, look foolish. And it's actually led a lot of people to some heartbreaking, painful, messy situations. So here's the question to begin with. Will we change the standard? Like, are we going to take the Bible, God's standard, and are we going to try to, like, conform it to our culture and try to say, well, this book needs to be updated. It's not, you know, it, it's socially offensive now and culturally out of date. Are, are we going to change the standard or are we going to let God change us? Are, are we going to try to conform the Bible into our culture or are we going to try to conform the way we live our life into God's standard? Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And unfortunately, this is what a lot of people have done. A lot of people have, have just kind of bought in the culture's way of doing it, and they don't even think about it. And they say things like, well, this is just who I am, and it's just the way I feel, and if I feel this way, it can't be wrong. And, and, and honestly, I, I, can't, I can't even stop sinning because I just feel this way. So here's the challenge and the journey that I want to bring you on for the next couple weeks. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I want to change the way you think about love, sex, and dating. I want to give you some new rules, old rules that are going to sound new because we bought into rules that don't work for so long and change the way you think. So as we get ready to kind of jump into this, I was thinking, you know, my son is now seven years old and we're getting very close to the time where we're going to have to have that awkward talk. You, you remember the awkward talk that your dad gave you when you were little? And, you know, for most of us, your dad kind of waited so long to finally get around to it. By the time he told you about the birds and bees, you knew everything already. So it was like, you know, Dad, I got it. I already know. And he was just relieved the fact that he didn't have to go through with the whole thing with you. And so I just decided, you know, with my son, I don't want to have an awkward talk with him. I want to just kind of begin a discussion. A discussion that, that is going to last for years. A discussion that we're going to revisit every year and it's going to develop over time. And so today, I don't want to preach at you. I don't want to just give you an awkward conversation or a talk. I want to begin a discussion, a conversation with you. That's why I'm sitting down so I don't get like so fired up like I did last month and, uh, you know, kind of go all over the place. I just want to kind of just sit and talk with you and really help you understand some things. And, and one of the questions I know a lot of people are asking is, well, the majority of our church is married. Like, like the majority of people here today are married couples. Why are you going to take four weeks and talk to single people? Like, like why, why spend four weeks dealing with single people issues? And, and the reason is I want you to have great relationships. I want all the single people, all the teenagers, uh, all the divorced people in our church. I want you to believe that marriage can be great. 
I want you to believe it doesn't have to be the way you saw it growing up. Like you don't have to have a marriage like your mom and dad if they didn't have a great marriage. That you, that, that you can believe marriage can be amazing. Marriage can be awesome. To kind of restore your hope in this institution where, where some of you have just kind of given up on it and thinking like, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I saw it. It didn't work out for my parents. Or, you know, I've been there, done it. didn't work out for me. And, and I'm just, I'm kind of resolved to the fact that I'm just going to be single the rest of my life and, and, and just kind of have fun. I want you to believe. I want to give you some keys, some new thinking, new ways to think that will literally transform your future. As a pastor, one of the things that I've realized kind of, you know, about being a pastor is I'm kind of like a walking conscience. You know, remember the old Disney movies with Jiminy the Cricket, and he would kind of sit on your shoulder, and he was your conscience and tell you what was good and bad. Some of the kids are looking at me like, like, what in the world is that? I just dated myself. Some of you, you know, older people, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that's kind of what I am as a pastor. Like, I'll be out, you know, and around, I'll be at the gym or, you know, out shopping somewhere, and I'll run into somebody who goes to our church that, you know, for whatever reason, I haven't got around to meeting them yet, and they'll come up to me and say, you know, I go to your church, and then all of a sudden, they vomit out their life story to me. I mean, they, like, get into details, and it's graphic, and they start telling me, like, all the junk and all the pain and all the, and I'll get emails and letters, and, and, and there's just so much pain and heartache and the stories I hear and the junk that people have been through. That so often I sit there and I'm listening to these stories and I'm thinking to myself, didn't anyone ever tell you? Like, didn't you know? Didn't you see that coming? Like, it, it's so, didn't you know that's the way guys were? Didn't you know that, that that's what was going to happen with her? I mean, like, didn't you see it? Didn't you know? And, and here's what I've realized in 20 years of ministry. Common sense isn't that common at all. Like, it's, it's really not. So this series is for every single person who's here today. It's for every teenager, and you're just now finally starting to get interested in the opposite sex. It's for those of you that have been divorced. It's for those of you that have been divorced two times. It's for those of you that, you know, maybe remarried or married, and you're still trying to work some things out and figure some things out. It's for those of you that have sworn off marriage and said, I'm never going to do that. This is for all of the above. But let me, let me also say who this series is not for or... Or not, not that it's not for you, but let me just say who's going to be frustrated over the next four weeks? Who's not going to like this very much? And that's the group of people who, you know, I, I, there's really not a good term for it, but they're kind of the recreational dater. They're a sports dater. I heard somebody say they're a serial dater. I mean, they're in it for the game. They're in it for the pleasure. I mean, the names change. They're just trying to see how many women they could get to bed or how many guys they can get to pay for dinner. And, and, and you know, they, it, you know it, they've been doing it for so long that they don't even use their real name anymore. Like, they make up a story when they go out and meet people. And it's just, you know, they're, they're the type when somebody sits down with them and says, Let's have a conversation to define the relationship. You stop them right there. So you just define the relationship. It's over. It's done. There's not going to be a relationship here because I'm in it just for the fun. I'm in it just for the pleasure. I'm in it just for the sport of it. You're not going to like this series very much. But here's my hope. Here's my hope. I hope that you'll at least listen and, and maybe you'll, you'll kind of download these messages, you know, into your hard drive or to your, like some thumb drive and, you know, put it, put it somewhere at home. And when you get to the place, and I hate to use this word where you feel like, you know, maybe I'm going to settle down, uh, that you'll pull it out and you'll listen to it again and maybe just maybe try to get some of this stuff right. And I want to begin today by giving those of you kind of in that category, those of you who like you're the sports data, you're just in it for the fun. Uh, I want to give you one of those didn't you knows. 
And, and really what this whole series is, is just, I want to give you just a, a whole bunch of like, didn't you know, didn't you see, uh, wasn't it obvious, like, 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 you know, how could you miss that? Let me start by giving you one, and, and this, is, this is a huge truth. For those of you kind of that are living the life, like you're just having fun, you're just dating as many people as you can date, here, here's what you need to know. Right now, this moment of time that you're living in, we call it the present, the present, right now. In a short while from now, this moment in your life is going to be your past. Like teenagers, like the life you're living right now, in a few years, this moment in time is going to be your past. It's going to be your past. And, and here's the problem with that. Your past is going to show up again. Your past is going to show up. And it has a nasty habit of showing up at, at the worst time. It's going to show up again in your future. In, in single people, let me tell you what, what married people didn't know. Because, you know, married people just aren't the brightest, you know, out there. And so let, let, me, let, me, let me just help you single people. So you don't make the mistake the married people made. This is what married people believed. Married people honestly believed, they thought that, that when I get married, I get a brand new start. When I get married, it's going to be a brand new day. It's a fresh start. When I get married, I leave my past behind me. Married people actually believe that. So let me give you the truth. This is in your notes. The present, the life that you're living right now, just having fun, dating, you know, going, you know, going out, having a good time, the present, your life right now will become your past. Like the moment you're living in right now, one day it'll be your past. But here's the problem. It will be present again. It's going to come back. Like, like it's not gone. It will be present in your future. And I want you, I know this is deep and heavy. I want you to write this down, chew on this. Some of you are going to get this later tonight. Like, oh, that makes sense. But just take this with you and wrestle with it because this is a key truth to this message because your past has a nasty way of showing up in the most inopportune times in your future. See, here's the thing. As a church, we counsel a lot of married couples. You know, I, I counsel married couples. Other people in our church counsel married peoples. Here's what we've discovered through all of our counseling. We've never counseled anybody in our church who had a marriage problem. Like No one we've ever counseled has had a marriage problem. What we counsel are two people that had single people problems, then they got married, and their single people problems from their past is now showing up, and it's creating a troubled marriage. What happened is they drug their past into their future. You see, a marriage problem is like, do we have two things of toothpaste, or do we share one? A marriage problem is like, do we have two checking accounts? And no one sets up you know, counseling appointments to figure out things like that. So what we're dealing with is single people problems that were brought into a marriage and created a troubled this is, this is one of the reasons the church were so passionate and committed to our Life Connect groups. Many of you began week one of life this week. You know, the goal of life is to help you deal with your past once and for all so it stops plaguing your future. So oftentimes when I'm counseling a couple, like the first thing I'll tell them to do is like, listen, you need to go to a life, men's life group and you need to go to a women's life group. And if they'll go through life with an open heart, honestly, 90% of their issues go away. Like, like most of their issues get resolved very quickly when they simply deal with the past because your past has this nasty habit of showing up in your future. Now, let me give you another thing. And again, this is for the single people. Another thing married people did that really, you know, allowed them to get into a mess. Because again, I, I want to protect you from, from 
doing what many married people have done and, and make a major mistake in their life. Here, here's a big thing that married people have done, single people. Married people, they also believed a myth. They believed a lie. They, they bought into this myth, believed it hook, line, and sinker, and it's now made a mess of their future. And here's the myth that they bought into. It's called the right person myth. I know it sounds crazy, but a lot of married people in here have bought into this. And here's what the myth says. If I find the right person, if I meet the right person, if I marry the right person, everything's going to be perfect everything's going to be wonderful. We're never going to fight. They're never going to do anything to make me mad because they are the right person and they are perfect and it's going to be happily ever after and everything's going to be peaceful and everything's going to be wonderful. And they actually believed in the right person myth. And do you know, single people, how the right person knew they had found the right person? Let, let me help you understand. This is how they knew that they had found the right person. They had chemistry. They had chemistry. They had feelings. There was all this passion there and all this emotion and all this chemistry. Like I could talk to him for hours on the phone and I can't keep my eyes off her or my hands off her. And it's just like, we got this feeling and, you know, we live in a culture today. It's like, well, I'm not going to, you know, buy a car without test driving it. You know, I'm not going to, you know, buy a new pair of shoes without trying them on. So we go physical and, you know, we bring in the sex and, and, and the chemistry is great and the passion is great. We've got all these feelings and, and, and it's amazing. And, and, and so what they believe is if I meet the right person, everything's going to be all right. And here's another thing that they believed, and this is crazy. They also believed, in uh, single people, you need to know this, the married people in this room, they believed that nobody has ever felt the way we feel. <laughs> like nobody has ever loved the way we love. Nobody has ever felt, not my parents, not my grand, I mean, certainly not my brother and his wife, like Nobody has ever had what we have. What we have is so unique. It's special. We've got this chemistry. And, and, and so here's the problem. They, they, they get married. And all they had was chemistry. They didn't know relationship because they had chemistry. They thought because I met the right person and because I'm with the right person, I don't need relationship because the right person is never going to do anything to make me mad. Like it's going to be, they're never going to do anything where I need to have relationship, where I need to be kind, where I need to work through because they're perfect. They're the right person after all. So they get married and now they have problems, problems. And it's not chemistry problems. You know, they don't have, they don't have chemistry. It's not the passion that's creating the issues now. Now they have relationship problems. And here's the trouble, because guess what starts to suffer first? The chemistry. The passion begins to fade. The passion begins to die. And so guys think, because this is the way guys think, well, well the chemistry is dying. What we need is more sex, because sex will fix anything. You know, like we look at sex as a tool. Like, let me get my wrench out, and we'll fix it. And girls are like, it doesn't work that way. And then now there's all this tension and all this craziness, and it's just a mess, and it turns into this disaster. And now the very thing that brought them together, the very thing that made them believe this is one of a kind, like no one's ever felt this way before, and we're unique, and we're going to beat all the odds, and what we have is special, the very glue that held them together begins to die. And now they got problems. 
And then one of them gets this bright idea, uh, usually the woman, and, and says, I know how to fix the marriage. What we need to do is we need to have a baby. Yeah, brilliant idea, right? Let's bring another human being into a dysfunctional relationship. That'll fix it. And the guy's like, well, we have to have sex to do that. So, you know, we can move ahead, you know. And, and so it's like, you know, now, now, they, now they're going down this path. And, and single people, like all the single people, like the teenagers, you guys are laughing right now because you're thinking to yourself, who could be so stupid? I mean, like, like that's just ridiculous. And married people, like you're nervous right now. You don't even look at each other because you're just like, how, how did he know? How did he know? And I'll tell you how I know. You're not as unique as you thought you were. You're not as special as you believed you were. Like, like, like you're not that different. You, you're actually a lot like everybody else. It's why just about every Sunday, somebody will come up to me after church and says, you know, Aaron, that message today, you were speaking right at me. Like, I don't know about everyone else, but you read my mail. That was, that was right at me. Do you know why people say that to me every Sunday? Because you're not that different. You're not that special. Like, what you're going through is actually very common. It's, it's a well-worn road that many, many, many people, like, you're more like everyone else here than you're different. So we got this couple, and they, you know, they think, well, we're going to fix the marriage. We're going to have this baby. Now, let me give you another statistic. There are two to three times in a marriage where a man is most tempted to have an affair. And do you know what's in the top two? When his wife is pregnant. Yeah, and you're thinking to yourself, what a scum. I mean, how could anyone do, like have an affair on his wife and all she's trying to do is fix the marriage? But see, here's what guys think. And, and, and guys, I want to kind of expose something to you. And, and really, you need to come back in a couple weeks where we're really going to dig into this subject. And, and you definitely don't want to miss that Sunday. But here's what guys think. They, guys think, well, I've got needs. Like, I have needs. And, and guys actually think sex is a need. They, they think sex is a need. Man, l- let me tell you something. Water. Water is a need. (laughs) Food. Food is a need. Shelter in certain climates is is a need. Sex is not a need. You can do the research yourself. Like, like if you don't don't trust me, you you go do the research yourself. Uh, A guy can actually live his entire life without having sex, and he won't get sick or die. Like, don't trust me. Go find out yourself. I mean, it's not a need. It's not a need. It's not a need. So here's what happens. We got all these problems. They decide to have a baby, fix it, and then, and then all of a sudden they got these problems. And so then married people believe in, they, they buy into another myth. First, they, they, they believe this right person myth. Now they buy into this myth that I married the wrong person. I married the, if I married the right person, I wouldn't feel this way. So obviously the problem is I married the wrong person. And so, you know, he goes off to work or she goes off to work or he's at the gym or she's at the gym. And guess who walks in? The right person. Yeah, the right person walks in. I mean, married people are so stupid. I mean, they, this is why second marriages have a higher failure rate than first marriages, because they buy into the same myth again, expecting different results. You know, we talked about, you know, you don't you know, buy a car without test driving. Now you got two used cars and two used pair of shoes trying to figure things out. And, it, and I just want to say it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to go down that road again. Your second marriage doesn't have to be a failure. You don't have to make the same mistakes you made the first. You can do, there is, the handwriting is not on the wall. There are principles in God's word that still work. 
that still work, whether you're a teenager and never have been married or still work, whether, you know, you've already been through three marriages and now you're, you know, feel like giving up and God can make it right this time around if you let him. And here's the problem. Our culture won't celebrate it. Like, like our culture, and I don't think it's because our culture is against happy marriages. Like, I don't think our culture, like, you know, opposes happy marriages. I think happy marriages are just boring. I mean, they're just boring. I mean, no one's going to do a reality show about a couple that get along. I mean, it's just not going to happen. I mean, we want the affair, the drama, the junk. And, and listen, if you entertain yourself with all of that stuff on television, just don't for a moment buy into the fact that that is the reality of life. There is a different reality. There is another way to do it. So, again, if you're dating right now, if you're, if you're pursuing, if you're looking, you know, for somebody of the opposite sex, and you've bought into this right person myth, like if you think that, that if I just find the right person, everything's going to be all right, you are, you, are, you are believing a fairy tale. You're believing a fairy tale. So let me give you the big idea. This is just the introduction. But the big idea today, let me contrast this for you. Is it about finding the right person, or is it about becoming the right person? What's the goal? Is it finding the right person or because, and this is a huge concept. This, this is what, for some of you married people, nobody told you this. And, and this is partly why you made a mess of things. Nobody told you. Didn't you, you see it? Didn't you see it? They spent all their energy on the hunt, all their energy on the prowl, all the energy trying to find this, this perfect right person. And they didn't spend any time on what it took to become the right person. Now, I ran across a story when I was doing the research for this, and it really epitomizes this message well. And it's about a girl. She grew up in church, and, and she shared her story. You know, she grew up in church, and she had values growing up, and she believed you know, in Christianity and, 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 and really lived out her faith growing up. And then this girl went to college, and then you know, from college she got a job and went to work. And in her words, it wasn't, you know, she didn't say that she had this epiphany that, that God wasn't real and that Jesus wasn't the son of God. And, and, and she had this moment where she just abandoned Christianity. In her words, it just wasn't important to her at this point in her life. Like living for Christ just wasn't a priority to her. And so she just got caught up in the life. She just got caught up in the culture, in the world that we live in. And so, you know, after work, she'd go out with her friends and, you know, they'd have a couple drinks and, you know, she'd start dating around and then she'd sleep around a little bit. And it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it's just physical. I mean, nobody's getting hurt, right? I mean, it's just sex. I mean, I mean, I mean, no big deal. It's like, like, we're just having fun. You know, we're just having fun, just living the life. And then one night she was out with a group of friends and she met this guy and he was perfect. I mean, this guy was good looking. He had this great job. He had this nice car. But more than that, he was a Christian. And, and he evidently lived out his faith. Like he had standards and he wouldn't compromise. And he had integrity and character. And there's just certain things that you could tell he wasn't going to do. And he was living out his faith in the marketplace. And he was just like the total package. And she just fell just completely in love with this guy. Like wanted him. And and, and that week, she went home to visit her family, and she's telling her mom all about this guy, how amazing, I mean, this guy's like, he loves God, and he's got standards, and he has integrity, and he's got character, and he's got this great job, and he's so good looking. And she's telling, telling you know, her mom all about it, and her mom stopped her and says, honey, the only problem is a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. And when her mom said that, she fell to the ground in a puddle of tears because she knew her mom was right. She knew a guy like that would never 
be interested in a girl that was living the life she was living. She was never going to get a guy like that. And that was a defining moment in her life. That was a moment when she made major changes, where she decided she rearranged her values, her priorities. She began to turn her life around. So here's the question. Are you who? Are you who? Right now, are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? This is what it's about. Are you who the person you're looking for? There's a person that, that, that you're looking for, and you've got a list of who you want them to be. Well, are you the person that they're looking for? Like, do you have all the qualities on their list? Are you becoming? Are you being intentional? Are, are, are you trying to become this person? Or are you just thinking it's just magically going to happen? If I just find the right person, everything's just going to work out. Because listen, it's not about hunting. It's about becoming. See, when you open the pages of Scripture, when you open the Bible and you ask God, God, what do you have to say about finding the right person? What you're going to discover is there's very, 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 very little in here about finding the right person. But if you open up this book and you say, God, do you have anything to say on what you want me to become? Oh, man, the pages are endless. There's just page after page after page of what it means to become what God wants us to become. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Because here's the thing. I don't know if, you, if you've really you know, connected the dots here relationship was God's invention. God created relationship. Relationship didn't just magically evolve and we didn't think it up. God specifically designed and invented relationship, which means God created you for relationship. This is why it's natural for you. Like, like you, all of us, we want to hear somebody say to us, I love you. I adore you. Like, I can't wait till you get home from work every day. Like, you're the most important thing in my life. Like, like I, I have so much joy when I'm around you. See, me just saying that right now, you felt that. Like, like you felt that right now. Because we all, in our innermost being, desire to have somebody feel that way about us. That's the thumbprint of God on your soul. It's on your soul. You were created for that. And I want to give you hope. I wanna, I, for, for those of you that have kind of given up on relationship, given up on marriage, give, because of what you saw and what you lived through and what you had to endure, and it, it was just so broken and messy, I want to give you hope that it is possible. Like you can do things differently. There are principles that work. You can become intentional about who you want to become. You, you don't have to live that way of just going out and making yourself available and just, you know, hopefully you'll accidentally or providentially kind of run into the right person. That's only going to lead you to more and more heartaches. Let me be just specific for a moment to the single people here. I want you to go and, and listen to this message back from 2013, a season for everything. You can get it on our video page or our audio page on our website. This is all about the difference between dating and courting. And I know some of you don't even know what the word courting means. Like You've never even heard that word because we're in this dating-driven culture. Can I just say for a moment, dating doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it would be like, we would, again, we could argue if you had like results to back up. But the reality is any athlete in the room will tell you, you play like you practice. You play like you practice. What is dating? Dating is practice for divorce. That's all dating is. I like you. I like you. I don't like you. I like you. I like you. I don't like you. Dating teaches you how to go in and out of relationships. It doesn't work. Look at the results. 
Look at the results amongst Christians in America who have bought into the world's way of doing it. doesn't work. And so this is a whole message on the principles of courting. It's not rules. Courting isn't like you can't do this and you can't do that. It's principles based on God's word, and it's a way that works. So that's in your notes. I encourage you to listen to it. So as we end today, let me just, we're going to end today on how do you become? Like if it's not about finding, it's about becoming. How do you become? We're going to go to the love chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. We read it at weddings. We put it on postcards. You know, we, we sing the song, I want to know what love is. Here it is. This, this is what love is right here. And, and this is what, what we want to become. And I'm telling you, if, if you'll make this the goal of what you become, it, it'll change. Whether you're married or single, it'll change everything. Look at this first one. Love is patient. Love is patient. That's what love is. Love never pressures the other person ever. Love never puts pressure. Love, love creates as much space, as much time, as much margin as the other person needs. If they are pushing you, if they are pressuring you to do something, they do not love you. And I know they'll use the word love, like if you love me, you'd sleep with me. If you love me, you'd, you'd do this with me. If they're pressuring you, they do not love you. That is the exact opposite of what love is because love is patient. It's patient. And, and this takes practice. It's developed over time. It doesn't happen because you said, I do, on your wedding day. Look at this next one. Love is kind. Love is kind. What's another word for kind? Consider it. Consider it. Love considers the other person's feelings. Love considers how they feel. And single people, listen to me, don't wait until you find the one before you figure this out. Work on it now. Why don't you work on this now so that when you do find the right person, you're good at it. You know how to be considerate. And what this means is if you go on a date with somebody and it's just a bad date, you know, culture says, well, you don't need to call her back. You just need to, you know, you know ignore her, never call her, never return her text, and just kind of, you know, throw her to the curb because it was a bad experience. That, that's not what considerate means. Considerate means you give her a call and you say, you know what, it was fun, but there's no future here. You consider their feelings. Well, I don't owe her that. It's not about what you owe her. It's about what you're becoming. Love is considerate. See, again, single people. Here's what married people thought. Married people thought, they, they honestly, th and it's crazy. Married people thought, I don't need to practice this because if I meet the right person, they're going to be so perfect, I'll never have to need to be kind to them. Like, it'll just be natural because they're right. They're perfect after all, right? Here's another one. Love does not envy. This one right here destroyed a lot of your parents' marriages. And, and you haven't even fully connected the dots, but this is a big one right here. I mean, some of your parents split over this. What, what, what is envy? Envy is, I don't feel good about me, so I can't let you feel good about you. Have you ever been around a couple that's constantly trying to one-up each other? Like one of them's feeling a little insecure, and the other one's having a little bit of success, and they just constantly try to one-up each other. Like, the guy's out surfing. He's like, man, I caught this nine-foot wave. Yeah, well, my brother's on, you know, professional surfer. You know, so it's just like, you know, it's just constant, this, this one-up, this competition. It destroys intimacy. Single people, you need to practice this all the time. Married people, it's not too late to learn any of this. Envy destroys intimacy. When, when one, one of the parties feels threatened and feels insecure and the other one's getting a, a, a level of success... But again, you know, married people were stupid. They thought, you know, if I marry the right person, they'll never make me feel envy. Like envy won't be 
part of it. It'll just magically disappear. It's just not the reality. Look at this one. Love does not boast. It is not proud. I know, I know some of you teenagers, you're thinking to yourself right now, this sounds like the worst date ever. Like, this is like, you know, the mo- we're just going to drive around all night and be patient and kind with each other. I mean, that just sounds terrible. For those of you who grew up in a family that was just a mess, you, you kind of grew up in a broken environment, do you think maybe that your growing up family life could have been different if your parents had been more patient with each other? Do you think it would have been a little different if if your dad had been more considerate with how your mom felt if there wasn't so much competition if they weren't so proud that they couldn't admit they were wrong single people you get to get this right you have a chance to do this right and and here's what i want you to realize some of you have been you've neglected this for so long that if you actually met the person of your dreams right now they probably wouldn't like you In fact, they might be repulsed by you, but you can turn it around. You can change it. Here's another one. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. In other words, when you go on a date with somebody, you will never, ever, ever create a regret for another person. What this means is you will never be a part of another person's regret story. Like, that person will get a sense that they feel safe, like this person is never going to create a regret for me. Let me explain it more. Uh, Dishonor. Dishonor means that you do not behave disgracefully, you do not behave dishonorably, and you do not behave indecently. And I know some of you in that sports dating mentality, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's the goal. I'm trying to get indecent by the end of the night. I mean, that's the whole plan here. That's what I'm trying for. It's, It's like what I'm aiming at. Can I just say what served you well when you were living the life is going to eventually destroy what you value most later in life. So why don't you make a decision now that I'm going to be a person of honor. Like I'm going to learn this now. Because again, married people thought that if I just marry the right person, all of this will be natural. It'll be easy. I'll never have to do this because they're never going to do anything for me to need to do this. Look at this next one. Love is not self-seeking. Love isn't selfish. It's not selfish. Let let me ask you a question. Does any of this come naturally? No. I mean, like, we are born selfish. Do you know what comes naturally? Chemistry. Feelings. Passion. Let me get your clothes off. Let's get into bed. That's what comes naturally. Can I give you the truth? The truth is you can actually feel chemistry for thousands of people. Like, you do realize you can have chemistry for someone that doesn't even speak your language. You can have chemistry for somebody you meet on spring break. How foolish is it to chase relationships based on something you can literally feel for thousands of people? That's a fairy tale. That's a myth. It's not reality. It doesn't work. What I'm talking about works, but it does require effort. So so I'm challenging you today. Why don't you make a decision that it's not about searching, it's not about finding, it's not about hunting, but make a decision that you want to become somebody worth pursuing. You want to become somebody worth catching. Worth catching. And so Paul ends this, and I'm going to end it here, 
in the most unusual way. Like 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. Love is this, love is that, love is this. And then Paul kind of throws a curveball if you don't really understand what he's doing. And he ends it in the strangest of ways. Look at this at the end. I mean, your Bible's awesome if you read it. Look at this, verse 11. When I was a child, this is the love chapter. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned. I, I figured things out like a child. But when I grew up, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That's the goal. Like, it's not about thinking and talking and reasoning like a child. It's, it, you've got to grow up and put the ways of childhood behind you. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you a question. How does every childhood fairy tale end? And they lived happily ever after. I mean, I, I lo- it's, it's, you know, it's in every child. It's in Disney movies. And I love Disney movies. I'm not against it. And I love Disney movies. But, but here's the way a child thinks. Children think, if I can just get the two right people together, like, like if the prince and the princess, if they can overcome the evil dragon, the evil witch, you know, the, the evil stepmom, and we can get them together, then they're going to live happily ever after, and everything's going to work out. Because that's the way every children's story ends. And some of you are dating, and some of you are approaching relationships, and you're thinking, you're talking, and you're reasoning like a child. And I'm telling you, it's time to put childhood ways behind you. It's time to put the childhood away because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So I want to challenge you to become. One of the things I did today on the back of your notes in your worship guide, I put 1 Corinthians 13 in a very easy way to memorize. And I want to challenge every married person and every single person here to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. Memorize it. Make it your mission in life that this is my mission statement. This is who I want to be. This is what I want to become. Meditate on each aspect of it, and it will change you. It'll change you. It'll change you. Make it the goal of who you want to be. And here's what will happen. You'll protect yourself. You'll protect yourself. What do I mean protect yourself? Romantically speaking, when you make that your mission, when you make the mission of your life to become this person, to become 1 Corinthians 13, you will naturally be repulsed by anybody who isn't. What does that mean? That means you're not going to end up in another bad relationship. You're not going to end up in another bad situation. You can't become the things on that list and and find yourself attracted to somebody that's not. It, It won't happen. Healthy attracts healthy. Unhealthy attracts unhealthy. You're not going to wake up one day and say, man, I I was caught off guard. I was fooled. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. You just made the wrong thing priority. It's, It's not about finding. It's about becoming. So as we end today, let me ask you again, are you who? Are you who? the person you're looking for like you you have an idea of the person you're looking for like you've got a list of the qualities and the characteristics you want them to be this incredible person the question is are you who that person is looking for like i know what you want in them but are you what they want or are you going to have to settle in life and find yourself in a bad relationship because you didn't become you didn't become so it's my challenge week one as we begin this discussion as we begin the conversation would you close your eyes for a moment bow your heads with me here's the uh, the key to this entire series you can't do this in your own power 
you can't do it in your own ability. Like, I'm going to give you a lot of great psychology, but the truth is it doesn't work without God. It doesn't work without God. Like, your self-discipline is not enough. Your willpower is not enough. You need God to empower you to pull this off. And that's the truth. And so what I want to do today is for those of you that haven't fully surrendered your life to Christ, which simply means Jesus is number one on your list. Jesus is number one on your list. Now, I'll, I'll admit with you today that, you know, very likely in your mind, Jesus is on your list. That's why you're in church. You wouldn't be in church if you didn't have Jesus somewhere on your list. The question is, is Jesus number one on your list? which means you've rearranged your life to reflect he's most important. That's the question. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It's just a commitment of your heart that he's number one. Because the truth is, if Jesus isn't number one on your list, he's not on your list. You cannot squeeze Jesus in a second place. You cannot squeeze Jesus in a third place in your life. It does not work that way. He's all or nothing, and that's the way he set it up. And so if you're here today and you would, you would honestly, you know, if, if you reflected, you, you would honestly say, you know what? The truth is he's not number one. Like, like there are areas of my life that I haven't surrendered to him. There are areas of my life I haven't let go of. And it's time. It, it's time for you to do it his way. And the good news, his way works. His way works. Like, it'd be different if what you were doing works, but it doesn't work. You know it doesn't work. 